Thanks, Bill. As you know, we've been in this series of practices, right? So we've, every, every month we've changed practices. We started with the, with the Word of God and then we moved to prayer. And now we're in a series uh, entitled Simplicity, the practice of simple, simplicity, which is really about keeping it simple. And uh, Bill and both Taylor both referenced a fantastic quote, uh, and Bill was kind enough to send it to me. What simplicity is, oh, that's the wrong text. Um, there it is. Joshua Becker quoted in John Mark Comer, the ruthless elimination of, elimination of hurry said this, the intentional promotion of the things we most value and the removal of everything that distracts us from them. So literally, it's, a, it's an intentional movement of simplifying your life by aligning everything to what's most important. And when we do that, we simplify our life around certain things that we value, that we believe God values. So we got to throw some things out. We may need to add a few things. But simplicity, as we talked about, began first with the idea of hearing from the Lord. So Bill gave a great message and told us, we've got to hear from God if we're going to know what simplicity is all about and how we're going to simplify our lives. And then James followed it up with a message on technology, and we had a little huddle earlier this morning to try to figure out what in the world that message is about. And we decided that uh, James was teaching us on what is it that the that you are most dependent on and how to become less dependent on technology and far more dependent on the Lord, Matthew chapter 6. Learning not to worry, but focusing in on what is absolutely most important, the righteousness of God. And so technology was all about this idea of dependability. Where's our dependence on? And what do we start in the morning with? What do we end our morning with? How do we refocus and reframe our, our minds? And then Taylor did a fantastic job last week in the, in the series on simplicity of talking about uh, the Sabbath rest, that, that everybody uh, needs a rhythm of work and rest, and that if you understand simplicity, you, you understand that you cannot continue to go, 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 go. You have to stop. God stopped. The reason why God worked six and ended his creation with a day of rest was to give us a balance, to show us our dependence on the Lord. And to, to be more simple in our lives, you have to say no to go. You really do. This morning, we're going to look at the final one. And the final message in simplicity brings us to one idea. And that one idea is vision. You have to have a vision for your life. We have to have a vision for our church. And so we're going to talk about both. So we're going to look at both of these ideas. I think there's a few slides here to help me this morning. Uh, and the first slide, I believe, will reference this idea that uh, the church, the simple church, is a church that has vision. And it goes to Proverbs 29, 18, that actually says, when there is no vision, the people perish. Um, vision, according to Andy Stanley, is a preferred future. You've got to look out ahead of your life. You've got to look at the end of your life to begin living wherever you are right now forward. You've got to start at the end. And so you've got to know where you're going. What's the direction of your life? And the same is true for our church as well. Francis Schaeffer was a prophet back in the 20th century and early part of the 20th century. And uh, 
he spoke about the church often and the church rising up to take its role in culture and society to lead the way. And this is what he said. He said the local church should be right, but it should also be, be beautiful. That uh, what I want you to do is hold this kind of an elevation over this idea in suspension. Hold this in, sus- in suspension as we talk about this idea of, of vision, that what God is wanting for the church is it to be beautiful. Why? Because what people see matters. They see and observe our lives. They see and observe our church. And it should be beautiful. And so as we talk about vision of our church, we're going to look at two passages and that's it. But what I wanted to start with this morning is the next slide, and that is a vision for your own life. I felt like the Lord told me this morning, I kind of set this message aside for several days and um, focused this morning in on um, my own vision, getting more clarity on my own vision. And, and as you can see, there's some various components of any vision statement. It's got to be clear. It's got to move. It's got a line and it's got a focus. These are four things that are true of any vision. They just are. What, it's got to be very, very clear. You've got to be able to say it and understand it. But then it's got to move. It's got to move you to, from one point to the next. It's got to keep you moving in a direction. Everything in your life leads to a line around this one vision, and it's got to be the central focus of your life. So I'm going to ask you this morning, do you have a vision for your life? I mean, have you really thought about it? I mean, what is your vision? I was thinking about mine this week, um, and uh, it was kind of an, uh, it, was a, it was a tough week. I, I kind of, I, I, re- I referenced this in a text to one of my kids that um, I feel like I fell into a deep, dark hole this week. I don't know why, but I just did, and I'm not sure why. Uh, it was our anniversary this week. Wednesday was our anniversary and it just started out really bad. And not because we're not because of the 37 years that we've had together. Where's my wife? I have no idea where she is. But, um, but something in me, it was just really, really hard. I haven't even told her this. But, but then um, she went off to a birthday party. Who in the world would have a birthday party on my anniversary? So that was the first problem I had, right? Somebody else. Um, and so I was alone and... Uh, I felt, I, I don't know, I just was really struggling. I was literally at the verge of tears and feeling like I am going to give up. And so what did I do? I, it's the best thing that I know how to do. I went and bought something, right? <laughs> and it didn't work. It didn't work. So, uh, but we had a great, great evening and um, went out to dinner and, and the the gal that sat us was a young gal, and she said, oh, you're celebrating your anniversary. How many years married? And we said, 37. She said, oh, that's what I really wish from my mom. And so it, we felt really good about that, that we've, here we are, 37 years into this. Um, but it was, a, it was a long week. Thank you. And it was a hard week and, and a lot of personal struggles. And I really felt like the Lord um, broke through. And I'm going to read you the very last thing in my sermon. Isn't that crazy? I'm going to actually, I've never done this before, but this is the last thing I have in my message. So I'm going to skip all the way to the end. Here's what, um, here's what I want to finish with, and I'm going to start with it, and that's this. 
I'm coming out of retirement because I was feeling like I had been sliding into the finish line rather than running. And this is more about my motivation and about where I feel like I'm at mentally. And so I was feeling like I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to throw in the towel. And what I felt like the Lord, through the vision for my own life, restored me and brought me back to my original vision and helped me come to a place where I would say, I'm not, I'm not going to slide. You know, in a golf swing, someone reminded me of this. When you go up on a golf swing, you can sit there on the end of your, your the beginning of your golf swing all day long. You can sit up there all it's not going to impact your golf swing. It's when you come through the golf swing, you've got, to, you've got to keep moving and you've got to come through it with momentum. And so you've got to hit the ball with intention. It's, it's, you can't stop at the ball. And that's what, what I feel like I've been doing in my life in these last few weeks, months. And it's vision that has pushed me through this. So any dark cloud that you're in, any discouragement, any hardship, any like question of vision can actually bring you back and out of that. You've got to know your vision. I wrote down 1 Corinthians chapter 10, just an encouragement to you to be thinking about what is the vision of your life? Could you actually, whether you're a young person or whether you're in your retirement years, it doesn't matter. You need to know the vision of your life, the direction of your life. A vision is different than a mission statement. You know that, right? A mission statement comes from missionary, to walk, to take the, the mission, to take the, the gospel into a foreign land is a missionary. And so it's, it's the movement, it's the forward momentum, the things that you do. You know our church's mission statement, that we are highly hopelessly relational. That's who we are. We're going to be relational We're devoted to the words and ways of Jesus. We're pursuing cultural cultural renewal and life change in the South Bay and around the world for the glory of God. Those are the components of our mission statement. Those are the things we're going to do, but what's our vision? Our vision, like your vision, is something that you focus on that keeps you going. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says... Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. So whatever you do, its focus is the glory of God. What's the glory of God? Glory is weight. God, it's God's weightiness. It's God evident in the world, seen through your lives or seen through creation. The, everything brings glory to God or he doesn't. it doesn't. And bringing glory to God is literally bringing evidence of God to other people. And so I want my life to live so I bring evidence that God exists, that God's real, God's loving, he's compassionate. The second verse that I've been focusing on is Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And in Colossians 3, 17, it says, in the same vein, whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's for Christ. It's, for, it's his name, running my life through the life of Christ to see if there's alignment in that. So I came up with my vision statement, and I've told you this before, that I am a purveyor of truth. I, I, I'm, I love to learn. I'm constantly learning. And I want to take my learnings, and I want to give it to other people. So I'm a purveyor of truth for the desperate inquisitor. 
Now that seems not simple, right? That seems a little complicated. And so if I could simplify this, I pursue truth to lead people into a real relationship with Christ. It's what I do. And so I got a little bit more clarity this morning as I was just journaling. And I actually wrote some of your names down because I was thinking of your vision. And I was thinking of my own kids, my son, Theo. He's a believer in young people. That's who he is. His division of his life, I think, centers around how he believes in young people. He's a teacher. And right now, he's an engineer teacher. He teaches three levels of engineering at Morrow High School. And, and he has more students than he has chairs. And so he's now finding chairs to seat his students because his classes are growing. And that's the kind of person he is. Um, I wrote down Kathy Plummer, by the way. And Kathy is a gatherer. She's a, she, she's a gatherer of people, phenomenal gatherer. I wrote down Denise, um, that she cares about you. That's what she does. She cares about you. Um, I wrote down uh, Brooke as a motivator, a motivator of people by who she is and by what she lives for, motivation. Brittany, I wrote down my other daughter as dependably loyal, this loyalty that makes you feel safe and secure. Um, I wrote down Bill, and I said, Bill, you're the straight arrow. You've always been. I've, I've observed you from a very young age, and you just have this ability to go straight and stay straight, and it's remarkable, and it's motivating when I get off course. And then I wrote James, and there's a question mark there. But for me, I want to find, what I want to do is I want to move from study to adventure to new challenges, whether it's music, painting, puzzles, art, chess, for the sake of learning to inspire people about God. It's what I do. I know that's true of me. So I wrote, I am, I am a, an unraveler of ideas and an activator for others. And then I said, in my, so my vision for my life is to raise the name of Jesus and glorify God by using what I learned to lead others to Jesus. So my question for you is, what do you do? This is a really strange illustration, but I'm going to give it, and then I'm going to move on to the vision of our church. Very strange illustration, but I think it'll help. So there was this guy that started this festival known the Fire Festival, and it didn't work out very well. His name's Billy McFarland, right? Do you know, do you know this story? So the fire festival was supposed to be held like in the Bahamas or someplace like that several years ago. And he raised like $26 million and people spent a lot of money thinking they were going to get a, a really nice weekend. And they ended up with a cheese sandwich and a tent. And, and they all left. And they were very disgruntled and he was convicted of fraud and went to prison. It was like a 20-year sentence and he ended up doing four. And you would think while he was in solitary confinement that he'd be kind of rethinking the vision of his life, right? Well, you know what he did in solitary confinement? He thought up a fire festival too. <laughs> this is just mind-boggling. This is, that a boy. What else are you going to do in solitary confinement but think of another way to do about what you just did that failed, that got you where you are? And so 
he did it, and the tickets are seriously on sale for $800 to $8,000 if you'd like to go next year to 2024 Fire Festival 2. So if you're into that, have at it. It tells me two things. People are really stupid. And second of all, it tells me that um, this man has a vision for his life, and he just can't stop. And I love that about him. He has a vision for his life. And I wonder how strong and passionate we are for the vision of our lives. Think about it. Really give it some time. Write out a vision statement for your life and begin thinking how you're going to pursue that. But now on to the church. There's two passages that, that kind of outline the vision of our church. And here it is, Isaiah 43. And uh, we started the church 15 years ago with this passage in mind. Denise came up with it. She was reading through Isaiah one of my favorite books in the Bible. And in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18, it says this, do not call the mind of former things or ponder the things of the past. We've all got a past. We've all get stuck in the past. And Isaiah is saying, don't get stuck in the past. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And we became the river church based upon this passage that we would be a river. But what is a river? I mean, what is that? So I asked Gary and Heather Hirschberger to come on up. And I want you guys to, from your perspective, going all the way back to the beginning, what were we thinking when we use that language, a river, the river of the South Bay? So would you guys share some of your thoughts some of your reflections on what in the world was going on when several families began meeting and praying about this vision of our church. Well, I'll start off and say you were a lot easier to follow than Billy McFarland. <laughs> I would have had a hard time following him, but that I, I'll give this to you, Gary. But I wanted to say, yeah, well, let me just say, I'll say one thing and then we'll give it to you. Um, it's so interesting because when you were saying vision, there was a very distinct moment I've never forgotten when we were going to churches and trying churches and we're running around with Todd and Denise, knowing that we had something stirring. And I just realized, I think Todd has a really clear vision. So we're sitting in the parking lot and I roll down my window and I'm like, you, you have a vision. You, I think that you already have the name for this church that you want to start. And he was just, just like what you heard right now, just fire focus told me and Gary the river and quoted um, Isaiah 43. And, and for me, I have come from many years of a church representing a building. So that was a little radical. And so for me to think, wow, I, I can't really see what you're doing. And that sounds almost overwhelming, but his vision was so clear it was very easy to start catching it. And it, it started becoming ours. And then we started meeting, and it was contagious and just started going like a fire, probably better than the fire festival. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm going to hand this off to you, Gary. You Gary. Oh, wow. So Take us back. So, you know, all I remember is when you said river, <clears throat> I remember... Uh, the next word out of your mouth was tributary mm. because mm. a river, you, you didn't want it to be like yeah. 
This is the lake and the pond where it just yes. sits there, right? It was going to be moving. It was going to yeah. be moving through and and taking what we'd learned and the strength and spending time with God and spreading it from the very from the very yeah. beginning. And I and I remember when you said vision, I I, I thought uh, there was a definite moment where you know when God speaks to you with a loudspeaker, like with a just in your ear and you can't get rid of it. That's the feeling that at least I had when we were exploring this, this, this opportunity to go forward and to, to take a step of faith when we didn't really know what was going on. But even though we didn't know where we were going or what we were doing, we were meeting in the back of the Kevin, uh, Kevin Cathy's, uh, the plumber's backyard with, and 14 chairs was a, yeah. was a good day. <laughs> And we met at 4.30 because we didn't want to step on any toes on any other churches. Like, we're not poaching you. We're not taking you. Right. We just wanted to have our 4.30 Sunday service. And it started there. And, but back to the vision. When you, I just felt this huge impulse to stick with you guys. Um, and we didn't know where we were going. It didn't make sense at all. Literally, our kids, <laughs> our kids were like, Head of the, the children's service <laughs> at nine. Haley was like, okay, you're in charge. You're teaching these people. You're in the barn. But, um, but along the way, when you, when you speak, um, Todd, about, um, about vision, this is, well, it was there before, but this is, those are great to, to start yeah. a movement. Yeah. But along the way, um, you need... Not just the big m- megaphone. You need that that quiet whisper. Those little visions along the way, yeah. and those visions I think come. Like I've learned more about God, I think, um, from the people of God. I can go around this room and point out the people that have made an impact on me yeah. at a significant moment in my life. A a, a word, an arm around your shoulder. Um, a celebration. Um, you can do it. Hang in there. Just whatever it is. And, and um, I think it's important that we know that, right, we're not a, we're not a building. We're a, we're a community. We're a, we cast visions for other people. We give strength to other people. We're tributaries for other people. Yeah. And um, the more we realize that, and this is why I love the river so much, and I have loved it for so long, is because new people come in and, and I learn from them and I get to know them and, and we strengthen each other together. We, we make the, the tough walks together. You know, I'm sorry you had a tough week. I, I kind of had a tough week too. <laughs> but you know, it's, they come sometimes and then, and then they go. But we need those little gentle whispers of God. We gotta keep leaning in and, cause it's not always a loudspeaker, so. Those are my thoughts on yeah. Okay. And yeah. then I'm, I'd like to just end this with it, yeah. is that what we didn't see, and I think is so ironic because faith is defined by what we can't see, but vision is beyond what we mm-hmm. can see. You know, so it's really pretty profound. And then the indispensable blessing of this church, what we couldn't see, uh, I would have not had the imagination to know what it would have become. And we're just blindly going along 
to what Gary was saying was sometimes a megaphone and sometimes a whisper and very uncomfortable sometimes. Uh, but boy, the reward is so great because when someone has a really clear vision, it's much more easy, it's much easier to catch it. And so that was the beauty of it. We were able, he was called and then we all got it. It was a very contagious situation, so. Thank you, Heather and Gary. We love you guys. Thanks for being there from the beginning. I wanna, um, so what is it? What is this vision? What, what are we talking about? I think Gary touched on it and that is, the thing that I want you to take away from this passage is this. A river has tributaries, okay? Think about that. There's two ways to plant a church. There's two ways to be a church. One is to, like, find a building and hope a lot of people show up and fill the seats. The other way is to go out and find people already in ministry, doing ministry, serving, involved in people's lives, in the community, all over the place. And they come together and gather on Sunday morning and become the church. You see the difference? One is they're, they're out and they're coming in. The other is we're trying to get them in and sit down and, and be, be the church. We are the church because we are the tributary. It's the reverse tributary. And that's the vision of the river is that we started and we continue to focus on people that love to go out and be part of the community, part of various organizations and friend groups and all sorts of activities and things, and we spread them all out. And everybody goes out. And then when Sunday morning, we come back and we get hyped up, excited, charged up, encouraged all over again to keep going. That's the river church. The river is reverse tributaries of people. And in Isaiah, the idea of water is really important. Water represented spiritual nourishment, spiritual restoration. The, the land was dry. Israel was dry. The people were dry. The nations were dry. They had no relationship with God. They were searching. They were like the people looking for the ultimate experience, willing to pay $8,000 to fly to the Bahamas, hoping that they're going to get more than a cheese sandwich and a tent. That's, and they're, they're, they're deeply searching. And what God says to Isaiah is, tell the people you're a river. You're the spiritual resource that people need. Go out and give it. Be the reverse tributary. And that's who we are as a church, which means we're going to not do certain things and we are going to do other things. I'm going to bring you up to date with another passage, and we're going to close with this in Matthew chapter 9. So that's Isaiah. We've always held on to this, that we're the river, the river, the reverse tributary of ministers that go out to care for people, that love on people, that engage people. But in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 in the New Testament, Jesus says these words. Well, it's a description of Jesus, and then he'll say something. Jesus was going in all the cities and villages, teaching their synagogues and proclaiming the kingdom of God, the gospel. And in every kind of disease and every kind of sickness, he brought healing. Now, when Jesus healed people, what you have to understand is the word healing. Soteriology is salvation. Soteria is to save. Sozo is to save. And so the word 
to save comes from also the word to heal. That when Jesus went around healing people, he was saving people. That there is a relationship between the healing ministry of Jesus and the saving ministry of Jesus. In other words, Jesus was for the whole person. He was trying to save the whole person, not just a part of them, not just their souls, not just try to yank them off this earth and out of their hardships and out of their woundedness, but, but Jesus wanted to bring full healing into the life of the person, and that's what Jesus was doing. That's salvation. And how did he do that? It says here, by seeing the people. So he saw people where they were, and he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like people that didn't have a shepherd. In other words, these were frayed people, wounded people, hurt people. He saw deeply inside people, not the outside of people, but the inside of people. And when he saw the inside of people, they saw really their true condition. He saw they were really hurting. He saw them. Jesus saw people. And then what did he do? He felt compassion. And in feeling compassion, it's not, there's two kinds of compassion. One compassion is, I feel sorry for you and you move on with your life. The other is, I see you, I understand what you're going through, or I hear what you're going through, and I want to do something about it. I, I'm, I'm moved to do something about it. Denise and I were on a vacation this, this um, summer, and we drove to Idaho. And we've done this before, but it was just the two of us. And um, we, were gonna, we, we, we started off the vacation uh, in the car going, well, what do you want to listen to? And she said, well, I don't know. I don't like anything you read. And I said, well, I don't like anything you read. So that went on a while, and we still had 14 hours to go. And so we were wondering, what in the world are we going to listen to that we both liked? And I said, I'll tell you what. I'll listen to whatever you choose. And she said, well, I heard about this really good book by Kristen Hanna called The Four Winds. So we downloaded that book, and we started listening to it. And we listened all the way to Idaho and all the way back, and we finished it as we were coming to L.A., it was a beautiful book about families living in the 1920s during the Dust Bowl and the crisis and the hardship of losing their farms and the experience of the winds, the eight years of drought, and literally losing everything and having to pack up in their jalopies and move to California. And it was, I'll tell you the part, I won't tell you the whole story, but I'll tell you the part that really got me. It was the part when this family arrived in their truck to California and they were treated so poorly by Californians. It broke my heart. This is the 1920s. They lost everything. They've lost their farm. They have nothing but what's in their truck. And they're going to go through one disaster after another. And when they arrived, Californians basically said, turn around and go back where you came for. You're just a bunch of Okies. You're migrants. And they treated them so poorly. And it really, really got me. It just got me deep that I started thinking about who are the poor in our community? Who are the immigrants in our community? Where are these people? And how can we as individuals that have so much do something very, very different than what, what our ancestors did um, to people coming into our state? And it, it really moved me. And I've been thinking and praying about this of how we as a church are gonna continue to do that and show compassion, literally show compassion for other people that are distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. And so what I discovered in this passage is, is a new idea that, that Brooke and our leadership team, um, our staff, 
we all got together and began thinking about what do we really get out of this? What is the river? And here it is. I wanted to show you this next slide. And this is what we believe to be is the river. It's the building compassion for compassion. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, and Matthew 9, 35 to 38, where the river is building. We're building passion for compassion. That's what we're doing. That's who we are. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is it's a passion for God so we might show compassion for people, keeping it simple. It's, the church exists not for the people that are here. The church exists for people that are not here. I read a book when we first began the church called or The Organic Church by a guy named Cole. He's in Long Beach. And he wrote this. He said, if you're going to reach the smokers for Christ, you're going to have to sit in the smoking section. And I never forgot that because I think we are trying to reach people for Christ a different way, oftentimes trying to keep ourselves um, distant from the very people that God has called us to reach. And I think what's the church today to be beautiful is the church that goes deep into community, into culture. And that's who we are, building passion for compassion. And that's what we're going to focus on. I, I, I wrote down a few things as we close this morning. So who are we? What does this all mean to us as a church? I wrote these things down. Who we are? We're the river, building passion for compassion. Why do we exist? For the people not in this room. What will we do? We will gather with passion for God, and we will scatter with compassion for people. What's up ahead? Building is a double entendre. The word building in this vision is not simply building as in building into you, but it is also a building. Because we need a place to meet in order to inspire people and to gather people for compassion, to build the passion for compassion. And so what we are believing God for is a space that we can call our own that will be a place where we can minister to other people, draw people in, encourage young people, ministries of all different kinds, and then be able to continue to do the vision that God has called us to do to feel compassion for other people. And, 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 and the building itself isn't the vision. We've got to be clear on that. Whether we rent a space or whether we buy a space, it, it's the kind of space that enhances the ministry that we do. I also wrote these, new leadership. Though I'm coming out of retirement, it doesn't mean that I'm going to continue to be in my role. I, we have new leadership that is coming up in our church and our pastoral staff with Amanda and Taylor and Luke and Brooke and James. We have a phenomenal staff of young people. And we want to continue to grow our young staff, our, our, our leadership, to take new roles as well as others that are grounder group leaders, our other leaders that have become part of our church. And I'll, I'll find something to do. I'll continue to be useful. I'm not going to slide into my last days. I, wanna, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want forward momentum. But I, I'll diff, do different roles, as you will. 
Um, I also wrote greater mission emphasis, that we as a church are going to take more focus and more emphasis on deeper relationship with mission overseas and even in our community. And finally, the greater challenge, that this isn't easy. To be a church with this kind of impact is not easy, and it's going to require something of you. It is. It's a high challenge. Um, Dallas Willard once said this, the world can no longer be left to mere diplomats or politicians or business leaders. They have done the best they could, no doubt, but this is an age for spiritual heroes, a time for men and women to be heroic in their faith and in spiritual character and power. The greatest danger to the Christian church today is that of pitching its message too low. Too low of a message. It's a high challenge for us. It's a high challenge for us. God has so much more for us, and I believe that. It's seeing ahead and believing that's where God's leading us, and it's going to happen. Let's pray. So, Father, your word is so clear to us that we are the river and that we are to be passionate about compassion as your heart is passionate about compassion. So in this moment, Father, there's some work that we need to do in our own hearts, and that is, one, asking the question, what is the vision for our own lives? What have you called us to do? I mean, what is the, what's driving me? What's, what do I wake up in the morning thinking about and going to bed at night thinking about? And Father, what, when I see the world today, what is it that I really want to fix? And I pray, Father, that you would raise up hundreds of individuals from this church that would have a clear vision for their life and would live it with passion. And as we as a gathering of people, as Gary and Heather pointed to, that we, we do better together and we're encouraged by one another that we might run this race together. That we would stay strong together. And that our days ahead would be filled with greater influence and greater impact in the South Bay in the name of Jesus. Amen. So River Church, as the elements for communion are passed, take a cup, take some bread, hold on to it, and I'll lead us through it. I want you, as those elements are being passed and the worship team is getting ready, I just want you to be thinking about your passion for God, which flows out of his passion for you, and then how that passion can turn into very tangible compassion for other people, not just feeling sorry for other people, but actually how we come alongside, how we feel it deep, deep in our gut, and it moves us to action. Because these elements, this bread and this cup, they're very simple elements, but they're profoundly meaningful because they represent the body of Jesus, his physical body, and they represent his tangible blood. And so we hold these elements, the bread, the body, the cup, the blood of Jesus, and they represent his passion for the world and his compassion to feel our deep, 
deep need because we're broken people. The Bible calls that sin. We need a savior. We can't do this on our own. So we hold these elements as a reminder. As Jesus with his original 12, he said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. So that's why we as a church each week, we hold these elements. They're tangible. We'll taste them with our taste buds to be reminded of um, that passion that moved him to resolve our need. So I didn't pick up any elements as they went by. So, but I'm going to lead you anyway. I took the elements on the beach. Uh, take the bread. And Jesus says, this is my body, which is for you. Take it into yourself. This is representing Jesus into your most inner being, where he will empower and guide and lead you. And then he took the cup after supper, and he said, this represents my blood. His blood was shed on the cross, and the Old Testament tells us that there's no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. And so we drink. So I want to invite you as we close out to be a church that gathers, and then we scatter. Join me and stand, and the worship team will lead us in our final song. so great a mercy who could imagine so great a mercy what I could fathom such boundless grace the God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of Kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. 
Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the one who sent me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Then came the morning, thank you, that sealed the promise. Thank you, God. Your buried body began to breathe out of the silence. The roaring lion declared the grave has no claim. Oh, let's sing that again. Then came the morning. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to break out of the today, Jesus, that you are our living hope. Would you teach us today and this week, God, what those words truly mean 
that you are alive and well and that your firm foundation is available to us each and every day. So you teach us the hope of Christ, the glory of God. And may we be those people that go out and show the glory of God. May our lives be unto your glory. I pray for everyone here, God, any places in our heart that we just need you to come. God, I pray that you would come. You'd wrap your arms around each and every one of us. Show us your love and your goodness so that we may then be that to the world. So we love you, God. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, everyone. Thanks for worshiping. We'll see you next week. Bless you.